theyeshiva.net. In Torah, if you haven't downloaded your source sheets last week, please download them now on theyeshiva.net. You'll see the class of Monday. We are up to, we did the first three, par- three sections, three chapters, three paragraphs of the Mimer. We're holding Velachain Sus We're going to continue now inside. The niggin you were hearing was the niggin Dvekas of the Balatanya that he would sing on Shabbos by Davening. So after the whole explanation, the long explanation in the concept of Kriyas Yamsuf and the concept of Ashir Hashem Ki Go'i Go and the entire explanation of the function and purpose of Kriyas Yamsuf and Amadis Gasya and Amadis Galya and the ultimate fusion of the two, the synthesis of the two, which is what the splitting of the sea was all about. And Ashir al-Hashem, he explained, I sing ki goi go. Goi go means he's exalted above the exalted. And the key point was that there's two perceptions, there's two realities, two states of consciousness in, when watch, in, when, in which one lives. One is the consciousness of Mamali Kalalman, the consciousness in which there is real, powerful, divine diversity, because the light is channeled and harnessed and restricted in the vessels. And then there's a state of consciousness of Sevav Kalalman, that's called Yam versus Yabasha. In dry land, everything is distinct and everything is seen as separate from its source of life. In Yam, everything is submerged under the waterbed. We don't see distinctiveness. And the fish need to be submerged inside the water. And all of this represents a different state of consciousness, a state of consciousness of Mamale, where everything is individuated, a state of consciousness of Seviv, where it's encompassed by a single Yam, by the bed of water, that encompasses everything. It would be like the metaphor that's given in this Mimer, even though it's not in Torah, but it's in other transcripts of the Mimer, is like, it's actually going to be later in the Mimer. It's like when somebody has a thought, and in their thought they imagine a reality of something. Let's say you imagine the entire picture of Earth's planet in your mind. Okay, so the physical planet is not in your mind. But today we know and this is amazing because Chassidus says this, that that's what Seiv of Kalaman is. Seiv of Kalaman is, imagine the whole reality of the world was actually in your mind. There is a reality of the planet, the way it's all in your mind. But over there, it's all one, completely one. It's inside your mind. What happens if I could live in that reality? So then there's this oneness. There's no diversity. In other words, every detail is just another expression of your mind's experience. So Saiv of Kalalman is that place, Moshe, Mishisihu. In one, the focus is very much on my experience. In the other, the focus is Bittl 
My metzius is bittel. My very eye is submerged in the infinite eye. And both are very real states. One is Almadis Kasi, one is Almadis Kriya The sea splits, the sea opens up. That which is usually concealed becomes exposed. In other words, usually under the water is concealed. Almadis spiritually, it's a state where the eye is not present. It's completely embedded inside the water. Like the fish is submerged in the water. And you don't see distinctiveness. What happens when that opens up? So now suddenly you're walking in Alma Discasia. So you have now this paradox where I am walking and you could see the differences between people because it's dry land. But where's the dry land? The dry land is inside the sea. That means that you still remain connected to that state of consciousness even while you're individuated. That's a com- complete paradox. I sing because Hashem is not Goy, He's Goy Go. He's exalted above being exalted. Goy represents Saif of Kalalman, which is exalted. Goy Go represents the core itself, the ultimate truth itself, Atmos itself, which is beyond infinity as much as He's beyond finite. As, just as you're not going to call God physical, you also can't call Him spiritual. Just like you won't call God a physical entity, don't even call him a thought, because a thought is also a definition and a description. So as much as he is infinitely not finite, he's also infinitely not infinite. And therefore, Ashir Hashem, I sing out, song, we explain what a song is. A song is not an articulation of an idea. That's why people will get tired of an old speech, they won't get tired of an old song, on the contrary. They may like an old song much better than a new song. Song actually touches a deeper element of the nefesh, a deeper element of the soul that's beyond articulation. Song comes whenever we sense a space that is beyond that which can be articulated in language. The language of song is a completely different language, and in that itself there's levels, deeper layers and layers Ashir Hashem, the ultimate song is Kigoi Go. Because Kriyas Yamsov got me in touch with a place of Goi Go, the infinity that is beyond infinity, which confuses the paradoxes because it transcends the paradoxes, and both elements can live comfortably there. So that individuation does not become a contradiction to oneness, but individuation and oneness can coexist. That's the miracle of Kriyas Yamsov. And in the daily davening, that is Psukhi de Zimra, Zimra song, which represents the Avaid of the Leviim, which then leads to the Kriyashma and the Shemayna Esra, where we say Baruch Ato Hashem, which is the revelation of Alma Deskasi within the state of Alma Deskasi. This is a very brief and I know cryptic summary of what we have learned in the Friday morning shir. In the Thursday morning shir and the Monday morning shir last week, we had three classes, I believe, on this mimer. This is class number four. Now you'll understand the continuation of the Pasuk. I sing to Hashem because He is exalted above being exalted. 
you see the Targum Unkelos on Kegoy says, he's gave us sana al gave us naya. In other words, he's exalted above those who are exalted. So the Alter Rebbe teaches. Doesn't only mean literally he's exalted above the aloof, you know, aristocrats who think they're uh, bombastically, who, who are bombastically arrogant and pompous. Ki goi go means goi over seiv of kalalman, which is go. Seiv of kalalman is goi, ki goi go. And what do you, what do we continue? Sus veroich veramavayam. A horse and its rider. Ramavayam, he hurled into the sea which of course refers to the horses. And the riders on the horses, Parai and the Egyptian troops, riding on horses as the Chumash describes in the beginning of Parashas B'Shalach, Rama Bayam, he hurled into the sea. The word Rama literally means he lifted up. Rama, like Truma, Laharim, right? Harim is matcha, you lift up, you pick up, you elevate. So Rama, he lifted them up, Rama, Bayam, to throw into the sea. As Rashi says, didn't separate the horse from the rider. The horse with the rider was hurled, thrown, cast into the yam. Later in the Shira, the world will, the word will change a little bit. Markov is Parei Yorobayom. Not Roma, Yorobayom. The chariots of Parei and his troops, Yora. Yora means he hurled, he threw. Here it says Roma, which actually means he uplifted. He uplifted, not yara, like yara in the modern Hebrew, right? You shoot, right? There's altirabi, don't shoot me. That's even in modern Hebrew, yara. Yara, he shot them into the sea. Here it says, Rama, he uplifted them. That's going to be significant. Now this Pasuk, really captures the whole Shira. It's the essence of the Shira. How do we know? Because it's the opening. What's the first thing they say? Everything else is a derivative, a continuation of this. And the best proof of this is Miriam's song. After the Jewish people sing, the men sing with Moshe, it says that Miriam summons all the women. All the women follow Miriam. With the, the drums and the tambourines. And Miriam invites all of them to sing. And what's her shira? What does Miriam say to them? Shira Lashem ki goi ga sus That's her whole shira. So this really encapsulates the essence of the shira. What it takes the men to say in a long, uh, a long shira, Miriam does in one pasuk. So now we'll understand the connection. What's sus v'reich v'ramavayam? Ki hinexiv, the pasuk says in Scharia. This is a Pasuk in Scharia which refers to Kriyas Yamsov, homiletically, according to many Mepharshim, including Rashi and the Metsudas. When you, God, rode on your horses, your chariots became a salvation for the Jewish people. And according to many Mepharshim, this is referring to the time of Kriyas Yamsuf. Really, the Egyptians were riding on their horses. But so to speak, when God rode on his horse, and when you, Hashem, rode on your horses, metaphorically speaking, and you displayed your prowess, so your chariots became a Yeshua. They became a salvation. Like it says, 
this became a Yeshua, a salvation for the Jewish people. But this is interesting, that the Navi Scharia refers to God riding on his horses and the Hashem having a Merkava, and that Merkava being a Yeshua. What does this mean? So he starts explaining... Biradover, the explanation is the Hine Isis Nikroyim Susim. Letters are referred to as horses. What's the connection? This already comes from the Zayhar. Kamoishis was bottle Lagabi Rechwerech Manhigai. Kahine Isis di Burem Tel Nagabi Asechel Vasechel Manhigai Lachala Shayachbuts. Lachala Shayachbuts Yateno. Just as you have a horse and the horse rider. And those who are familiar with the art of riding the horse, horseback riding, know that there's something unique about the connection between the horse and the rider. He says, the sus is batalagabirechva. A horse. In other words, there's often a very deep connection, a, a very deep understanding, if I could say, that exists between the rider of the horse and the horse. And the horse has a very profound bittle, very profound subservience to the one who rides the horse and is completely directed and takes the cue of the one who rides it. And we know that horses are even sensitive to the moods of the person who rides the horse. They know if you're in control, if you're not in control, if you're frightened, if you're overwhelmed, if you're stressed, if you're anxious. Horses are very sensitive animals in that sense. You could speak to people who raise horses, who grew up with horses. They're very well aware. The horses are well aware in their own way, of course. We have one of the people, the Shiurim is a professional uh, horse uh, horse breeder and horse trainer dealt with horses for many years and it's a it's it's a it, there's a deep connection and he says the horse on its own the horse wants to the horse wants to be surrendered to the rider but and the horse brings you to places that where you cannot go so in other words on one hand the horse is subservient but that subservience is a win-win because not just the horse is subservient and says, do whatever you want. I'm just here to serve. The horse also introduces something that you can never do on your own. The horse brings you to places. The horse can bring you to heights or to depths that you could never climb or get to on your own. And with a speed and a swiftness and an alacrity and a zrizus, that you must have the horse for. This is a marshal for Isis. He says, Isis Hadibur, the letters of speech, letters which make up words, are of course completely subservient, their bottle, to the ideas that you're conveying through the letters. And the letters are like the horses that are being used and rided upon by those who ride the horses. I have an idea. And I want to convey the idea. And I use the letters according 
to the idea that I want to convey. Different people could convey the same idea, but they use different letters, they use different horses. But the horse is not just subservient. It has something that the rider doesn't have. It takes you to a place where you can't go on your own. The same is true with words and letters. On one hand, they're simply tools and instruments like a horse to be able to help you get to places, which means to be able to help you articulate and convey and reach yourself and reach audiences without communic- without the gift of communication. The ideas, the feelings remain completely concealed. I, I, I can't get them anywhere. They remain concealed even within myself. So the oasis are like the horses that bring forth their megala, they bring, just like the horse, physically, geographically, brings the rider to places he couldn't get on his own. The oasis articulate ideas that would remain very aloof and, and subtle and nebulous, both to yourself, oasis articulate, and to others. There's oasis amachshava and oasis adibur. There's thoughts and words Thoughts are also made up of letters. We think in language, and we speak, of course, in language. But there's also something that the horse has that the rider doesn't have. The Isis bring the idea to a place that's even greater than it was on its own, that even when I conceive the idea and I think about it, or I conceive it even before I think about it, I have a picture of it, there's the experience of it. When you talk about it and you articulate it, often you see, he says, practically that through bringing it into letters and words, the flow of the intellect becomes greater in your mind. Every teacher knows this, every communicator knows this, that there are the ideas that I prepared and I wrote down perhaps, or I made notes and I prepared it all well. And then while I'm speaking there's a new flow, a new surge, a new epiphanies, new insights that I could have not anticipated during the preparation. And not because I didn't prepare well, but because the horse has its own energy, its own momentum, it brings you to a place that you couldn't come before. Articulating the seichel within words, within letters, lifts up and brings the mind and the ideas to places to distances that it could have never reached on its own. That's the power of Isis. On one end, it's only a horse. The horse is a completely just a keli, a conduit for the idea through the Isis, emes. But nonetheless, the Isis themselves have this kayach, they have this strength to be able to reveal and help you see new depths. Sometimes in the middle of talking, in the middle of writing, in the middle of talking, in the middle of the conversation, in the middle of the shim of the class, a whole new flow comes in that was not there before. Those of you who remember the Maimon that we learned in the summer, a year or two ago, I think, from Reb Hillel, Reb Hillel of Parish, the Chassid of the Tzamach Tzedek, the Balatanya, the Mittler Rebbe, you remember a whole long Maimon about the three weeks. And Tisha B'av, this is a major part of the discussion over there. How through the Dibur, there's a whole new flow, what's called Archeiser, in the Seichel. 
The same is true when it comes to the soul that communicates, that speaks during davening. Even though word, speech, is considered one of the garments of the soul and can be compared to the essence of the soul itself, only a ray of the soul is extended to ultimately become intellect, and then to become emotion, and then even lower to become words. Nonetheless, there's an ur that's created through dibur, the words themselves create an ur makif, a transcendent light that encompasses the entire soul from head to toe, allowing it to become bound up with Hashem Mamash, as explained in the Tanya, chapter 5, which the soul on its own could have not done. That's the power of Isis. There's something magical, there's something very intense, very powerful in articulating it in words. So here we have the paradox of Isis. On one hand, Isis articulate, they limit, as we spoke many times, they confer language upon something, and as a result of that, they define it. And by defining it, they limit it. That's one type of Isis. That's one level of Isis. Isis are also completely subservient. They're just tools to be used by the seichel or by the midas in order to express themselves. So they're like vessels. That's why they're called horses. So kisir susecha, Hashem riding on the horses would be channeling the divine through Isis, through the words of learning, through the words of davening, which are made up of Isis. On one hand, you can't compare the Isis to the experience itself. The experience itself is much deeper. The Isis is the language. Nonetheless, the Isis have within them a tremendous kayach to bring the soul to a deeper place, to bring a new flow of awareness, a deeper consciousness. That's what the Isis have a certain kayach. And there's a a deep explanation why that happens, because Isis are really rooted in a very deep place. The power to articulate comes from one of the deepest places in the soul, and therefore when you do articulate, you get in touch with that inner depth that you couldn't have through your consciousness before you articulated in letters. But the Pasuk says, We say every morning in Pesukei de Zimra, in Tehillim, this is, we have Tehillim, we have Ashrei, which is Kuf Mem Hei, then we have Kuf Mem Vav, and then we have Kuf Mem Zayin, 147. Halaluka, we were also to speak about snow. So there's an expression over there. Hashem doesn't desire the strength, the strength of the horse. Nor does He want the strong uh, thighs of man. God desires those who revere him, those who fear him, those who anticipate his kindness. On a literal level, what does it mean? It means, don't think that the source of all success in life will come from your horse. 
And don't think that the source of your prowess will come only from your thighs. Yes, you have a powerful Kazakh horse, and you have powerful thighs. That's not what impresses what God desires. He wants those who respect him, who fear him, who anticipate his kindness, his chesed, because ultimately he rules the world. That's the literal interpretation of these verses in Tehillim that we say every morning in Davenik. Comes the Alter Rebbe and he says, as always, there's a deeper interpretation here. What we learned, what is sus? Sus are oisius. Ah. We're not just talking about the physical horse. We're also talking about the spiritual horse. We're not just talking about the physical powerful horse. Don't think that that's going to be the beginning and the end of all your success. You need a relationship with truth. You need a relationship with God. But he says there's a deeper interpretation based on what we explained about Isis. Let's understand what the Pasuk is now saying. And here we're going to see how it all ties in together to the discussion. How do we get into this? So he says, The Isis, which are Susim, are Gvuris. Usually because horses represent power. The horses are powerful, strong. You know, you have a good, powerful, strong horse. He says, but Isis are also gvuras. Like we say in Ashrei, two chapters earlier in Tehillim. They speak of your strength. So it doesn't only mean they speak about your strength. It means, Gvura is expressed in Dibur. What does this mean? Or the Pasuk says, they will again utter your Gvura. Again in Ashrei. To notify. What does this mean? Gvura represents the numerous restrictions and the numerous veils of diverse types which allow for the creation, for the emergence of the highest worlds and the lowest worlds, which are all essentially products of Hashem's Gvura, which means God's ability to restrain and restrict His energy. That is what Gvura is. Gvura is the strength and the discipline to hold back, to withdraw, to restrain, to limit, to contain. That is what Gvura means. Gvura is the power of containment. The power not to express. The power to create boundaries, to create limits. What is Laidil of Nadam Gvuraisav? That Hashem, the Rebbeinu Shalaylam, contains the infinite energy in order for there to emerge worlds. Because the truth is that everything in His presence doesn't have a separate significance like we learned before, Saif of Kalalman. And he gazes, he scans, and he sees all of history from the beginning till the end. As the Pasuk says, he reads the generations ahead of time. And with one thought, he created the whole world. That's the initial thought that represents Saif of Kalalman like the Yam. There's one seabed and it encompasses everything inside. In one machshava, all of the cosmos, all of existence, not just the physical world, but also all of the spiritual universes are essentially 
one machshava, one divine thought. And just like a thought, if I capture something as a thought, the whole entirety of that object is a thought in my mind. The difference is, of course, that it's only a thought in my mind. But the truth is, a divine thought is really existence. It's just existence the way it's reflected as a thought. There's existence the way it becomes a word, and there's existence the way it's a thought. The difference is, words are much more articulated, they're more tangible, they have a concrete, they are manifested in a concrete way, and they have concrete properties. What's the difference of the world in Machshava and the world in Dibur? The world in Machshava is a world where everything is submerged in God's mind. In other words, you don't feel the individuation. That's like the Yam. What's Dibur? Dibur is differentiation. Sentences, paragraphs, chapters, books. But each sentence itself is made up of words and each, sentence, each word is made up of letters. And each letter is a channel of energy and an individuated channel of energy. That is the Gvura of Hashem. Ugvurascha yidaberu. Dibur represents the Gvura. Those are the Oisis. What does this do? It articulates infinity into finiteness. That's what Oisis do. I can experience the world from a place of Oisis. That's Mamalakalaman. I can experience life, or I could try to experience something of life from a place that transcends Oisius. That's beyond Dibur. That's going to the Machshava Achaz, the one thought that encompasses the whole world. And he continues, This is the deeper meaning the Gemara says in Avodah Zarah Yudchas. Rebbe ben Durdaya was a heinous sinner. And the Gemara describes it, there was not a single woman he did not pursue for promiscuous relationships. And then one day, he decided to do tshuva. It's a whole long story what happened. And he asks heaven and earth to plead for him, and they refuse. And he asks the mountains and the hills to plead for him, and they refuse. And he asks the sun and the moon to plead for him, and they refuse. And he says, it's dependent on me. And he places his head in his knees, and he weeps. And his soul expires, and Rebbe hears the story, and Rebbe starts weeping. When Elizabeth Rodaya died, a voice is heard that he's going to Olam Haba, and Rebbe cries and says, Ah, Bacha Rebbe Viyamar Yeshkoina Olamai Besha Achas. Viyeshkoina Olamai Bekamashanam. There are those who acquire their worlds over many, many years and decades. But there are those who can acquire their world in one hour. Nebuchadnezzar was somebody who lived his life in a very immoral way. But in one moment, one hour, there's somebody who can acquire his oilam. So Gemara says, I believe Yudches or Yudzai. Taiches the Alter Rebbe Yesh Koinai Lamei B'Shachas Pidush. A deeper meaning is Shakol B'Chines Tanugi Hanivray. All the pleasures of created beings, Mashayoch Elias Nimshach Lenivre Balgvul, that which could be communicated 
to one nivra, to a created being who's finite, so that he should be able to receive pleasure from it. Even the highest spiritual pleasure, like the higher Ganeidin, it's called a yesh, like the Pesach says, we learned a few weeks ago, the Mishnah says at the end of Uktzen, Hashem is going to bequeath every tzaddik 310 worlds. Because the Pesach says, I'm going to bequeath to my beloved ones. Yesh, which is 310, Shin Yud is 310. But he says, Yesh also means somethingness. Yesh means something, right? Ayin is nothingness or no thingness. And Yesh is somethingness. So he says, that which can be absorbed by a created being who's finite, so that he or she should be able to experience a delight, I can only enjoy that which I can appreciate. That which I don't appreciate, I don't enjoy. You could sit by the most beautiful concerto in the world, but if you're tone deaf, <laughs> doesn't you don't appreciate it. You could be in the most exquisite art gallery in the world, but if, God forbid, you can't see or you don't have any sensitivity to art, it's irrelevant. Bring a horse to an opera. Bring a horse to the Louvre Museum <laughs> and tell the horse, look at the Mona Lisa, you know, it's worth $200 million and maybe today it's priceless. You could be sitting at the most powerful shear in the world. You could be learning the most powerful piece in the world. The only way I could be macabre tainuk from something, I can enjoy something. The only way something can be absorbed and detected by someone who's finite so that he or she should be able to experience delight, even if it's a spiritual delight. There's the delight of food, but there's the delight of music. There's the ecstasy of love. There's the delight of wisdom. There's the delight of transcendence. There's the delight of cosmic oneness. Even Ganeid Nalyan. It's called Yesh. You know why it's called Yesh? Because it has to become something. It has to go into the word thing in order for me to be able to say, Ah, Geschmack. Doesn't mean only somebody could acquire his world in one moment. No. Ayesh, the Yesh, is He's Koina the whole Oilam, the whole world when he allows himself to be absorbed in the Shah Achas. If you go into Shah, what Shah Achas is a moment. What's a moment? This is the one thought with which God created the whole world. The Yesh could be Koina Elamai, the whole world, but Shah Achas. What does this mean? Avart. <laughs> It's back to Almadis Gassi and Almadis Galia. There's creation, the way it becomes Dibur, but there's creation the way it's a machshava, machshava achas. One thought, imagine, you know, you have a thought of a company that you want to build or of a home that you want to live in. It's a thought. It's a momentary, but that thought has everything. It has the entire company, the entire home. The problem is, you can't go with that thought to the bank. <laughs> you need to articulate it. You need to bring it down. 
You need to make it a tangible plan. You have to share it with others. You have to write up a proposal. You have to get investors. And uh, within that whole stress and anxiety and overhead and everything, hopefully something can come out. But what if that one thought can actually be the reality of the company? So today we're discussing, today we're finding, and I'm not going to get into this at length, but in you know I'm going to go there, in quantum theory, and quantum mechanics, we're realizing how every thought does create a reality. But that reality exists on a quantum level. It exists on a thought level. The reason is because by machshava, Hashem's machshava, it creates a reality. But you have to have the kalim to be able to tune into that reality. And my kalim demand dibur. They demand articulation. They demand oisius. If there's no oisius, it doesn't exist. It's hard for me to relate to the ayin. Ayin is nothingness, no thingness. So the whole, what is the world? What is the world? When you look at the world from a place of dibur, because it came into dibur, everything is individuated. Says the Alter Rebbe, the yesh, the yesh could be koina, the whole oilam b'sha'achas, sha'achas is one moment, one care, one machshava, where you have all of reality, all of existence. That's alma Kasya, that's the yam, which encompasses everything, and it's all unified because it's all an aspect of divine infinity. So kaina the whole oilam achas. It's a higher state where all of reality becomes completely one. From the place of the machshava achas that borrows ha'olam. Just like in the yam, there's no individuation, there's no separateness. So you'll say, but that's not reality. It is reality. In a way, it's more reality than the dibur reality. The Dibur reality is the reality of Isis. What's Isis? We spoke Shabbos, Shabbos morning at length. All, what, what do Isis do? Language reveal, but they also conceal. They reveal because they give everything meaning. This becomes a cup, and this becomes a shmata, and this is a mouse, and this is a pad, and this is lahavdila sefer. <laughs> Right? This is a mic, etc. Everything has a name, and that's how we articulate. I could sell this. I could produce it. We need names. We need names to articulate it. So that's what ISIS do. They give everything an identity, like a name, a shame, right? We speak often about shame as names. But ISIS also conceal, because they right away fit it into a particular box. This is what it is, and it's not anything else. It becomes right away fixed, so they reveal, but they also conceal. They define it, they articulate it, they confer language upon everything, and that's where the story ends. There's no more creativity. This is the end of the story. I look at the pen, how long can I look at it? How long? I can look at it for a second, two seconds, and I'm done. I know what it is already. But if you introduce this to your toddler, do it. Bring it to the crib, right, to the one-year-old, or even a cup, <laughs> or even a mouse, or anything that's green or pink or yellow, put it down, and he or she could look at it for an hour. And they'll turn it around, and they'll look from this angle and that angle and this perspective. Why? No Isis. Pre-Isis. There's no definition. I don't have definitions for it. 
What happens when we give things definitions? The moment we give things definitions, they become part of a story of the past. We're not anymore living in the present. Since nobody knows what I'm talking about, so I'm going to go back to marriage because suddenly everybody will know what I'm talking about. You come home and your wife tells you something or your husband tells you something. Do you know how to listen to it without ISIS? <laughs> and I'll explain to you what I mean. Somebody said something to you, right? What do we usually do? We right away give it definition. We right away give it meaning. We put it in perspective. We put it in the box. We put it into the file. In other words, I say, ah, this is expressing this and this nature of my husband or my wife or my child. And right away, it connects to what happened yesterday and what happened a week ago, what happened a year ago, what happened 20 years ago, what happened 30 years ago, and boom, you're upset again. You came home, your teenager told you something, Oh, here he goes again, because he has this attitude, because she has this attitude, which right away fits into what happened last week, which you know happened a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, and you sealed the lid. What happens if you could remain open to infinite interpretation? What happens if you can actually hear what they said and not define what they said and contextualize it? Oiseus is always context. Because the moment I define it, it goes into a context. The moment it goes into a context, it connects to everything in that context, and therefore it becomes part of a story. And once it becomes part of a story, it naturally triggers very powerful responses based on that story. In other words, I'm not living in the present. I'm living in the past, and everything becomes part of the story. Now, you're not doing this consciously. We just do this naturally. And oasis are a blessing. But can I become that toddler who looks at this and doesn't say cup? <laughs> I don't see a cup. Because the moment I say cup, it's the end of the conversation. I can just see it for what it is. And what is it? I'm not sure. <laughs> That's why I'm curious. I'm curious. I look at the raisin... We once did, you remember we did had a meditation in a shear. We looked at a raisin and we're not tempted to say raisin. Because the moment you say raisin, you know what it is. Can you just open yourself up to the raisin without a name? Now, it's very hard to do this because we love speech and we love definitions and we all yearn and hope and pray that each of our children develop their speaking skills. And when they don't, it's very worrisome. But we have to appreciate the trap of Isis as well. When you make a blessing on the raisin, what do you say? You don't just say the raisin tastes good. You know how many things you say? Baruch, Ata, Hashem, Eleikeinu, Melech, Ha'olam, Beire, Pri, Ha'etz. And I'm going to say on this, OMG. Do you, do you know how many profound ideas were just conveyed in the blessing that you make before you eat a raisin? <laughs> before you're drinking your coffee, right? You know how many profound ideas were said? Baruch Ata Hashem Aleikenu Melech Ha'olam Sha'akol Niyabitvara. 
You just put in infinite ideas into this little meditation before you're drinking your stupid cup of coffee. Because it's not so stupid. Baruch is Hamshacha. Atta is you. Hashem, Shema Meferish, Elikeinu, Melech HaOlam. Whoa, what, what? Because we're not going to reduce the coffee to the cup of coffee. We don't do that. We're not going to reduce a raisin to the name raisin. It becomes a raisin as well. Now, with a raisin and a cup of coffee, it's not so consequential. With your wife's conversations, it's very consequential. (laughs) With your teenager's conversations, it's very consequential. So the exercise here, the Balatanya is teaching us is, don't run into the world of Isis. Don't right away give a definition. Can you remain curious, inquisitive, like the man? What was the beauty of the man? What does it say by the man? They called it man, kilayadu mahu. They didn't have a box for it. They didn't fit into a box. Pun intended. The man didn't fit into a box. If you tried to fit into a box, what happened? <laughs> if you took 100 pounds of man and you tried to fit it into a box, what happened? If you took too little, or if you took too much, it didn't fit into your box. Either it exceeded your box, or the other way around, but it did not fit into your box. That was the power of the man. Man, the Rashbam says, man in Egyptian is ma. They called it what? Who calls it what? Ki mahu. Because it was lechem and ashamayim. It was bread from heaven. And therefore, it did not have a name. The, the, you remember we learned last Tuesday in the women's class, I taught the Svasemes from Parshas B'Shalach, that the man taught the Jewish people to be able to define reality in a way that defies definition. That's what the man taught the people. And Moshe said, "Who This is the bread that God wants you to eat. He wants you to learn to digest emuna to digest, to be able to eat curiosity. (laughs) I love it. To be able to eat curiosity. To be able to be satiated by wonder. Satiated by mystery. To be able to be that child who doesn't have to define things. Who doesn't have to um, articulate this is what it is and then you close the box and you seal the lead lid and that's it the story is over you put you contextualize it and you have this person you don't do that i I don't know listen be open start calling your wife man in other words i don't know tell me teach me tell me well, you don't have to try everything I say at home. You don't have to change it in the legal papers. Unless she likes the name, I don't know. The harder thing is start calling your husband man. I know in Toronto we have the man family. That's why they're called the man family. Now let's, let's go to the source of this. Where does all this happen? Hashem 
articulates the world in Isis. Basara Mamaris Nivra Ha'ilam. There's a Maimon Torah Ari Parshas Bashalach, we learned it on Shabbos. The Alter Rebbe says there, Alashan, Isis, bring the world from Soiviv Kalalman to Mamalik Kalalman. What does it mean? It means Soiviv Kalalman is pre definition. So, what is the world? The world is infinite. <laughs> it's what it really is. And that's the truth of it. That's the truth. That's the truth of it. And that's why today we know the world we live in is based on the thoughts we have about the world we live in. I'm going to say that again because it's true. The world we live in is based on the thoughts about the world we live in. That's the fact. You and I could be sitting around the same table. We're living in different worlds. Because our thoughts are different. We all, we all know this. Two people could be sitting on the same couch, right? One is living in a beautiful home, and one is living in a miserable home. Why? <laughs> Who's right? But it's true on every level. It's true on a scientific level. It's true, in phys- it's true everywhere. If I would have microscopic eyes, if I would have microscopic eyes, I wouldn't be living in your world. I'll be living in a different world. The table wouldn't be a table, the mouse wouldn't be a mouse, the cup taka wouldn't be a cup. If all the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear as is, infinite. And that's true. That's the pre-Isis level. But Hashem Hashem wanted to create Isis. I didn't didn't come up with the idea of Isis. (laughs) Wasn't my idea. Alter Rebbe has a mimer. He explained. Excuse me. Parashas b'shalach mimer. Another mimer. It's a mimer on the man. He says the incredible thing. He says when a person creates something, it's new. I'm a carpenter. You give me lumber, and I I sculpture it into a pushka. Here, look, my Zayda was a carpenter. <coughs> and my grandfather wouldn't use nails. See my name? This was my bar mitzvah gift. He gave it to me the night before he passed away. He was a carpenter, and he wouldn't use any nails, only glue. Okay, there's not a single nail. Only glue, and he matched up every piece, matched up with each other. And he would always build, this was his hobby. This was his hobby. If you go to 770, you'll see there's a huge Aran Kaidish in the front. That's his, his handiwork, not a single nail. It's huge, not a single nail. This was my grandfather, my mother's father. Rabbi Yankalipska, Zechreina Levracha. Passed away a few days before my bar mitzvah, 1985. In any case, so the Alter Rebbe says, when somebody is, let's say, a carpenter or a silversmith, a goldsmith, I give him silver, he makes a menorah, a cup, a goblet, whatever. He make a bookcase, a pushka, a table, a chair. So he says, this is a new thing. He got the material, it's a new thing. He now has to figure out how to make it, right? The idea, the skill of the hands, etc., 
He says, by Hashem, creation, Ani Hashem there's no change. So he says, what is creation really? This is very powerful. He says, the whole world was there before. Creation is that God, listen to this, God took the pre-existing world and articulated it as Isis. That's the change. In other words, pre-creation, everything is there. Nothing changed in God, procreation, post-creation. The difference is God allowed the world to be redefined as Isis. That's creation. What was Bereshus? The Oisius of Shemayim. The Oisius of Eretz. Became a place of Oisius. Became a place of definition. Became a place of description. Became a place of articulation in Oisius. Now Oisius are Gewaldic. They articulate, they define, they give context, they give description. But as much as they define and reveal, they conceal. <laughs> because they strip everything from its alignment with infinite energy that defies articulation. So which world do we live in? Which world do you want to live in? You want to live in the world pre-ISIS and you can't communicate? You want to live in the mikvah all your life? We live in a world of ISIS, but yesh, you're a yesh. Koin, why am I a yesh? Because there's no tainug. What does the Alter Rebbe say? There's no tainug that you can experience. If it doesn't become a yesh. I cannot experience it as pleasurable if it doesn't become defined in properties that speak to me. If you give me everything, infinity, but it doesn't translate into a yesh, meaning it doesn't become something that I can relate to, it's not pleasurable. People could sit at a shear. The information could be the most powerful information in the world. There's no tainug. Why is there no tainug? Because it didn't become yeshizdik. <laughs> you want it to be a yesh in order for it to be tainuk. Because tainuk means I enjoy it. For me to enjoy it, my eye has to feel that it enriches me. For my eye to feel that it enriches me, it has to be reduced to my eye. I told you, you take a horse to the most beautiful symphony and the horse won't be impressed. Not because the symphony is not beautiful, because there's a fed. You'll forgive me. I hope Darlam will forgive me. Sometimes a person gets sit, they're learning a Maimah Torah, Lakuta Torah, right? And I say, I-, I don't see the beauty in it. Of course. If I'm in a state of a Fed, how am I supposed to see the beauty? It wasn't brought down to yesh, 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 yesh. I want yeshes, I don't want ayin. So he says, all the Tanugim, whatever a person can absorb by definition is a yesh. Even Ganeidin Elyon. Even Ganeidin Elyon is a yesh. So he says, when this yesh is absorbed in Shah Achas, which is Machshava Achas, Shabbat Baris Ha'ilam, Bishah Achas, Koinai Lamai. It's Koinai the whole world. The whole world is there. It's not like you lose the world there. No, you get the world there. You get the real world. 
You don't get the world that's boxed in. You don't get the world that's post-Simpson. You don't get the world of Isis. You get the world that's pre-Isis. That's called Machshava Achas, Shah Achas. What does Shah Achas mean? We have the pleasures of the vine, Tainug and Ganeid Nelly and Ganeid Natachten, but it's all called Yesh. And you know why it's called Yesh? It's called Yesh because it's Yesh Oilamus, Shai Oilamus, 310 worlds. And it's the way it's channeled into some finite description. It's not anymore the yam. If I go into the yam, I die. There's no I. I'm not a fish. If I go into the yam, I cease to exist. The only way I can exist is if I'm separate. In other words, oisius. For us, oisius is the source of life. It's the channel of life. In Almadis Skasia, I run away from oisius. In Almadis Galia, I run into oisius. So now God asks Moshe to speak. What does Moshe say? I'm pre-oisius. I can't speak, I'm pre oisius. <laughs> you want me to you want me to start defining the world? I can't do such a sin. <laughs> it's a crime. I'm 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 from the Yam. You remember in the Yam there's no I, Bittal Bamitsius. Kula Kame Kalaikoshev, Saiviv Kalalman, Almadiskasya. Mitsius there is Machusa, it's eclipsed. Almadis Galia all comes from Isis. Isis are differentiation, individuation. Pre Isis, there's no Almadis God, there's no Almadis Galia, there's no Ich, there's no I, there's ain't safe. So Moshe says, You want me to speak? A marshal for this, the Balatanya brings this marshal. Let's say you, 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 you see this incredible piece of art. I remember the first time I came to the Grand Canyon. I went there with my wife. So I read up a little bit about it. So I thought I knew what it's going to look like. And I remember we came and I took a look at it for the first time. And I saw it and my breath was taken away. Whether it was for 10 seconds or 30 seconds, I was just... I was in awe, just the sight, the vision. Now, if somebody would come over to me at that moment and say, write an article about what you just saw, or give a sheer about what you just saw, I couldn't. Why not? Because when you're mesmerized, you're enthralled by something, you're submerged in the water. You can't articulate it. You're in awe. You're, you're, that's called bittle. In, in halacha, there's an expression, when you're busy absorbing, you can't emit. In halacha of kashrus, with blood, when you're busy absorbing, you can't emit. Right? When, when, you, when your mind is completely submerged in something, you're not in a state where you can, where you can, where you can articulate. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, I'm pre-Isis, I can't speak. This is not for me. Me anoichi. I don't have an anoichi. <laughs> I don't have an anoichi. I'm pre-oisius. What's willst for me? Me na see you. I come from the water. This is the way life is experienced when you have the microscopic eyes that see the oneness. 
And that's the world you live in. When you say Hashem created the whole world with one machshava, and we say in the davening, he scans the world like a scanner, all of the generations, from the beginning of history to the end of history. It's not just mystical language. Today, in physics, they speak about this, that there's a concept of going back in time. There's a concept of uh, experiencing all of reality, all of existence as one could. <laughs> If you look, you know, if you read about read about how they define the Big Bang and what happens after the Big Bang. One akuda, one akuda, one akuda mamish, and that nakuda includes all time and all space and all matter, <laughs> all crunched up in that seminal point, and then it expands, it develops. And by the way, the theory of the Big Bang is eerily reflected in the words of the Ramban in the beginning of Parshas Bereshis. I'm not a big scholar on the Big Bang or on cosmology or astrophysics. I'm just saying that these are very uh, powerful illustrations for these some of these concepts. So you have the whole world all crunched up in one akuda. All matter, all time, all space. And if you transcend that, so yesh koina oilamoi b'sha achas. In that one source, in the machshava haklalis, that's called sha achas. Because it's one machshava. It's like when you imagine the planet in your brain. <laughs> or you imagine anything in your brain. The whole entity of it, from top to bottom, is grasped in your mind in a single moment. It could be a huge country. <laughs> could be a continent, could be the whole planet. For, to travel from one side to the other side would take you an enormous amount of time. But shachas, in the world of machshava, it's shachas, it's one moment, and you have everything. Afterwards, when you differentiate the machshava and you start analyzing the details, it's not shachas anymore. So the yesh represents 310 worlds. And that's called a yesh, because Lagabe the Yam, which is beyond Hagbala, and it's part of the source, which is called Yam Ha'elya in the Machshava Haklalas, it's Sha'achas. So that's what Alter Rebbe says, that this yesh is Kaina Eilamai. He's Kaina the whole world when he's Nichlal in one Shah, Prinis Machshava Achas Shabbara That's when he really acquires the world. That's when he really owns the world. That's when he's really in touch with the world. Okay, let's take some questions. How does a horse know what to do if he's a horse? He has to hang around people. Good question. (laughs) The horse knows what to do as a horse if he hangs around people. You want to know what the Alter Rebbe means to say, what is, what, what is he teaching us with the Yesh Kainai Lame B'Sha'achas? The way I see it is, he's telling us that, that you can only have a real Kenyan in the world, you can only acquire the world when you're ready to go back to the Sha'achas. In other words, as long as I don't go back to the Sha'achas, I don't acquire the world. Back to my metaphor... 
if your spouse is talking to you, or your child is talking to you, or your brother is talking to you, or your mother is talking to you, and you right away define what they're saying, you impose your definitions and your names on what they're saying. Here you go again with your attitude. (laughs) Here you go again with your obnoxious nature. Here you go again with your uh, idiosyncrasies. Here you go again with your negativity towards me. You see what I just did? I just gave it a name. I just defined it. I have a name for it. If my therapist says, what did your spouse tell you today? You say, oh, my spouse was very, very negative or very, very critical. You conferred... You, 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 imposed, you imposed your language, your experience, the way it felt, and it's true. For you, it's true. That's what you felt. You did it for a reason. It triggered in you something because you're living in your own Isis, which is the story you've been telling yourself about yourself, which may be based on the story that you thought you heard from others when you were growing up. In other words, you contextualize yourself, what we call self-concept, self-conceptualization. The way I define me to me. And now when I hear what you say, that self-conceptualization puts what you said into that box. And becomes part of that story, and that's the end of it. And now I'm angry for the next month. So if you want to really be kind, so which world are you living in? You're living in a very small world. (laughs) You're living in a very dark world. You're living in a very small box. It's not your fault, but that's where you're living. So the Alter Rebbe tells us, amazing. If you want to be kainai lamai, if you want to really acquire your world, you have to go to the Sha'achas. You have to go to the place. You have to elevate your reality. Yeah, yeah. You have, to, you have to elevate the posture of reality and be able to see it from the place of Shah Achas, from the Machshava Achas that encompasses all. In other words, Almadis Kasi, not only Almadis Galia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's bringing the Ayin into the Yesh. The no thingness. The no ayin is, is, people say nothingness. We don't like nothingness. It's no thingness. Yeah. You're walking in the water on dry land. I introduce no thingness into thingness. That's man. That's why after Kriyas Yamsuf, they can start eating the mana. That's the next story. Because the man is the ability to eat the food of mystery. The food of man is the food of man from the word amuna. I can start eating the food of mystery. I can remain inquisitive. I can remain open to different interpretations. I may be experiencing something, and that's real, but my interpretation of it is just a projection of where I am. And that makes all the difference in the world. Because once I give an interpretation, it's fixed. It's forever fixed. And I'm stuck there. And my emotions are stuck there. There's no fluidity anymore. There's no fluid. 
That's the difference of Yam and Yabasha, right? Yam is fluid. It's not fixed. And Yabasha is, is... It is what it is. A prisoner cannot go out of his own prison. Fashtest. Where does the horse come in here? The horse comes in everywhere. I told you, the horse has to hang around people, Bensi. Yeah, yeah, it's just a metaphor. It's just a metaphor. Somebody asks here, what if your perception is not negative? You hear the person as they show themselves without the negativity. What does that mean? Well, you, you, yeah, sometimes a person yeah, may be screaming at you or a person may be, uh, may be very, very uh, sharp and negative and they may be saying things that are very hurtful extremely hurtful and you may i have to acknowledge that pain right if somebody punches me in the nose i have to be able to acknowledge that pain we're not talking about denying the pain of it we're talking about one second we're talking about just not feeling compelled to put it into a context and make it part of an old story about me or about the other, because then I remain completely trapped. Let me give you an example from the animal kingdom. I spoke about this on Shabbos. I have read or heard that, let's say a cheetah or a leopard or a tiger or a lioness attacks its prey. It attacks an antelope, an impalo, a zebra, whatever it may be, a calf, a baby elephant. And there are basically three options. One option is the predator devours its prey. Another option is the prey manages to, uh, potential prey manages to flee. The third option, sometimes zebras or impalos or others I've read, they have a strategy where they freeze. And by freezing they often divert the predator because the predator either thinks they're dead or the predator thinks that there's something wrong here. It's not something they're accustomed to because you're supposed to run away. And if you're not running away, it means you have something up your sleeve. This is dangerous territory. This is unusual. And sometimes it's a strategy that allows the impalo or the antelope to save their life. It's fascinating. So they'll freeze and the lioness will leave, or the cheetah will leave. I've, I've seen some videos of it, actually. And, and now, they're, they're, and, and now they, they survived, maybe with a wound, maybe without a wound. So researchers wanted to see what, the, what happens in the aftermath. Is there PTSD? Are they suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder? When they go back, they find their herd, and they integrate. Are there noticeable differences? Is their life changed? And they noticed a fascinating thing, that they somehow integrate perfectly, and they haven't seen any visible displays of trauma, of stress, of anxiety. Maybe there's a physical wound that has to heal, hopefully, but they don't see any irregular behavior on any level. And then they notice something Fantastic, incredible. The zebra 
then Palo, after the lioness leaves and they're safe, may run somewhere into the forest or into the jungle or not run anywhere, remain where they are. And for a few moments, they will just start shaking. They begin shaking for a few moments. It could be for 30 seconds, it could be for a minute, it could be for a few minutes. And it's almost like they're shaking out the, the experience and they finish and it's over. Never happened. You understand what happened? They, they experienced physical pain, no question. They experienced physical danger and they learned from it. And next time they may be more careful with this spot. <laughs> Whatever it is. They're not going to go back into that space. But because they're animals, they don't have oasis, they didn't turn it into a story. (laughs) We can all experience pain. We can deal with pain. Our challenge is the stories we tell ourselves about the pain. That's what kills us. We talk about often, you know, children who are abused... People have told me, worse than the abuse itself was the way I was treated after the abuse. When I shared with my parents what happened, in a way, that creates more damage. That animal has been abused. (laughs) That animal has been attacked. But there was no story attached to it. The animal did not confer language and definition and description and explain what happened and put it in context and say, ooh, this proves that I'm a loser and I always knew my mother didn't like me, my father didn't like me, my teacher didn't like me, the herd didn't like me, my uncle elephants didn't like me, my aunt elephants didn't like me, I'm made to be a defect, I'm a schmat, I'm valueless, I have no confidence and of course I was attacked, what should happen? And now I know I can never trust the world anymore and I can't trust anybody and I can't. Whoa, 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 whoa. Instead, what the animal does is it shakes because it had pain and it was horrible. It was horrible to get a bite in the neck from a lioness. It's not kishmak for a zebra to get a bite in the neck. Of course not. It's horrible. It's horrible. Can I shake it off and move on? (laughs) No, I put it in context. It's so powerful when I'm not trapped by the Isis. Now, Isis themselves exist on numerous levels. There's Isis and deeper Isis and deeper Isis and deeper Isis. And the Isis are a way of channeling existence and reducing it to a finite description, which is important because we live, we don't live in the quantum reality. We live in a world where our eyes and our brain at some point is is compelled to define things by Isis. That's part of Bria, that's part of creation. But the Alter Rebbe tells you, the Ye should know that If you want to have a full Kenyan in the world, you have to be able to take it to a place of Shah Achas, to the Mon Machshava that encompasses all of reality, where reality's posture is sublimated, that it becomes a channel for infinity. What if your perception is so negative and you don't even know you're doing this? You may need help with, from somebody to help you start thinking in different ways. It's very normal. That's what trauma is. Trauma is that I'm trapped 
in, in very, very difficult ways of thinking. That's what it is. Okay, I wish everybody a beautiful day, a lot of Hatzlacha. Those of you who are living in my area here, enjoy the snow. Go out and play with your children or grandchildren. And uh, have a beautiful and meaningful and very white day. It's a, it's a day of cleansing, it's a day of whiteness, and it's a day of oneness. I was just thinking about, you know why we enjoy the snow so much, right? Usually when we wake up in the morning we see the individuation of the world. Every tree is on its own, and every car is on its own, and every house is on its own, and every lawn is on its own, and I am I, and you are you, and we come to show everybody's dressed up in their own uniform. But a snow day, we're all bedecked with this white, unifying blanket of purity. And I think it gets us in touch a little bit with Alma Descasia with Kamayim Layam Echasim. And it's such pu- it's so pure. It's like the world, the way it's in its pristine place, where it's so pure and idealistic and clean and, and beautiful. Then you start seeing the footsteps in the snow and, you know, it gets a little dirty and messy. But before that, like early in the morning, just pure whiteness. And there's an innocence that it, it brings out in people. A calmness, yeah. And everyone is in the same boat, you know? Everybody's shoveling, even if you're worth millions, or you're, you know, struggling with your months. Everybody's shoveling. I mean, yeah, some people hire others to shovel, but still, you know, we're all, everybody's car is buried in the same snow. Okay, if you have a garage, maybe not. But there are, you know, a lot of common denominators. It brings out... It brings out the commonality in the human condition, and it's very beautiful. And the kids are, of course, in a good mood. Okay, question. I don't understand. You speak about machshava, but machshava, I still have to think. So, is machshava really the issue? Good question. It's not, machshava here is machshava achas of the whole world. There is machshava the way the Isis are already differentiated. It's still higher than Dibur, but it's Machshava. Here he's referring to awareness of our infinite self. We don't have to make sense of things. We can just trust that this is part of Hashem. I don't have to understand or wrap my brain around it. I can let go of the need to define it, to describe it. You get it? That's the point. Machshava here is not talking about analysis, dissecting, crystallizing. That's another pilpul. That's just like Dibur. Machshava here is talking about the source of Machshava. And that's a practical tool to accomplish this. In other words, how should somebody react to these strong reactions? How do we react to our interpretations of reality? You asked before, what happens if you have all these negative interpretations? I think it's not trying to figure it out. You can create space for these reactions, respect them, know that they come from the world in which you exist, in which you interpret reality in a certain way, but just make space for another awareness. Make space for the awareness 
of your infinite self aligned with the infinity of God. I don't have to articulate, I don't have to be drawn and compelled to fall into that trap of giving it a name, of giving it a description. I can just trust that this too is part of Einoid Mulvadei. This too is part of the divine. This too is part of Hashem. Even if I don't understand, but, 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 but it's killing me. Okay, okay. I know that you feel that way. The zebra doesn't say it's killing me. <laughs> Nobody told the zebra to say that. The zebra just says, that hurt. Watch out, don't go back here. <laughs> That's good. Sometimes you're in a relationship there's bad things happening. You have to be able to acknowledge it and say, I'm not going back there. I'm not going to be part of this. Whatever that means for you. There's different ways of reacting. But the beginning of it all is, the beginning of it is, don't, don't fall into the other person's toxicity. Don't become part of that trap that they may be in. Yesh koinai lamai. You could be koinai your oilam, your real oilam b'sha'achas in one shah. The whole veldt is b'sha'achas. Oh, thank you for asking that. So these are all expre- expressions of the Tanakh or of the sages about Hashem. So, tsoife umabit at sof kol that's an expression in Gemara in Chagigadaf Yudbeiz, Hashem gazes, he scans, and he sees till the end of all the generations. Okay? That's basically like you have a scanner. You have a scanner, and the scanner scans. You know, you may have a huge page with all the details, so many nuances. You take a picture of it, and it's all there, right? One picture. So, Tsaifo Mabit, Hashem gazes, and he sees till the end of the generations. The Pasuk says, which literally means he calls out the generations, Meirosh means from the beginning, from beforehand. That's a Pasuk in Yeshaya, the prophet Yeshaya Perik Mamalaf says, God basically can call out all the generations before, from the onset. Ani Hashem Rishain Vesacharainim Anihu, the Pasuk continues. This is Isaiah 41, verse 4. I'm the first and I'm also there at the end. So the Balatanya is bringing all this. That the Zoyar says. The Zoyar, it's a quote from the Zoyar. The Zoyar says, Zoyar Chelik Beis Davchaf, that God, with one thought, he created the whole universe. What's the Balatanya bringing out from all these sources? That there is a state of reality that transcends individuation. In other words, that one thought that includes all of reality, right? I gave a marshal by the Big Bang, you know, you see all of reality crunched into that seminal point. But this is even beyond the physical. This is all in the divine consciousness, that one thought, that is reality, and today in quantum mechanics, we know that there's different levels of reality. In other words, I could see reality as solid, solid, lifeless matter. I could see reality from the atomic perspective, from the molecular perspective, from the atomic perspective, from the subatomic perspective. I could see reality from a quantum level. And they're all really true. They're layers of reality. What are you seeing? They're 
looking today to define reality from the perspective of the string theory, you know, that unified, integrated theory where it's all like the vibrations on a violin. So there, there is, that's the power here, there is a state of reality from the perspective of the one machshava, that one machshava of Hashem that includes the entire cosmos, that is Shah Achas, and one can tune in, to some degree, to that state of reality. There's three-dimensional reality, there's four-dimensional reality, there's five-dimensional reality. Nefesh Ruach Neshama Chai Yechida, there's Yud, Hei, Vav, Hei, and then there's the Koytzei Shal Yud, right? The little, uh, the little apostrophe on top of the Yud. The ultimate is diffusion, the, diffu- the, the, the diffusion of the two. That's the ultimate. And practically, this means I could stay in my body and still retain that calmness. I can walk in the water on dry land. That's the synthesis. By eating the food of mystery. I don't have to interpret everything. All interpretation is a projection of where I am. And I want to be in a fluid state. I don't want to be in a fixed state. You want to be in a fluid state, not in a fixed state. That means to be in the Yam, not in Yabasha. Can I be in, 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 in a fluid state? That's where I want to be. Everybody, everybody will be able to see themselves as channels of divine infinity. Yeah. The fusion of Kriyas Yamsuf is the fusion of Almadez Kasya with Almadez Galya. Yeah. That's the fusion. The fusion is that I could walk in dry land, but we're in the sea. In other words, that the consciousness of the sea relates even to my individuation. In other words, I walk in the sea. I'm in Almadiskasya, but it's like dry land. I could see myself and I could see you. Hey, but I thought we're in Almadiskasya. There's no you and me. The answer here is, and that's the amazing Nikud of this Maimer, that the differentiation between you and I doesn't have to be a contradiction to Almadiskasya. In our individuated selves, we could be completely aligned with infinity. How? Infinity means no differentiation. That's where Atmos comes in. <laughs> That's where Kigoiga comes in. In the light of Bligvul, you have to be infinite, so there's no room for you and I. In the ultimate core, there can be complete fusion between the two states, Amadiskas and Amadisgalia. So there could be the fusion. Ashir el Hashem Kigoiga. And as we'll soon see in the next year, There'll be the sus v'reich v'ramavayam. He's going to get back to what's the sus and the reich v'ramavayam. What does all that mean? And I wish you all a, a beautiful day. A meaningful day. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.